Israel has not heard from God in decades. The priests and the leaders are corrupt. The nearby nations threaten the land's safety. The high priest, Eli, he is the judge of Israel, and he's not really faithfully serving God or his people. Israel needs a new judge. Israel needs to hear from God again. Israel needs new leadership. And God, God gives him Samuel. Well, happy Father's Day and welcome. Thanks for joining us again back at my house in my family room celebrating Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all. This summer, we are going to go through some great scripture in the Bible. First and second Samuel. We're going to learn more about God and his kingdom and how he works as we go through this sermon series called Kings and Covenants. This sermon series is going to watch Israel go from a theocracy, which is following God, which God isn't super pleased, into a monarchy. And I promise you, if you choose to read First and Second Samuel this summer, it will be exciting. It's some of the best reading in the Bible. It's probably the top two or three books, in my opinion, in all of the Bible, number one in the Old Testament. If you've never read it, it's like a soap opera. It's like something you've never read. In some moments, you just can't put the Bible down because it's so interesting and entertaining. And there's just a lot of drama that occurs. So join us and walk through First and Second Samuel with us. Our sermon series, Kings and Covenants, is going to talk about dealing with new kings and the kings of Israel and some covenants that, that happen as we go through this. And that's important. But more importantly, as we're going through this crazy time in our country, you need to realize all who believe and worship one king that king is Jesus, and he is our ultimate authority. All who believe worship only one king. And in that, we have this new covenant with Jesus Christ, and he is to build us new relationship. We are to learn to obey him and his word and live out a life honoring to him each and every day. That's just something I feel like we need to understand as we're going through this time and this election season and the division in our country. We only have one king. And that's King Jesus. And he is the one that we are going to follow. No other ruler will bring you peace or contentment. No other ruler will lead you into a place of great and, and great happiness and peace internally. Only King Jesus. That's why the Bible tells us, seek first the kingdom of God. And your life will then work out for the better for, uh, uh, for men of you and for the betterment of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and your life will work out to the glory of God, and I promise your life will be better for you as well. So that's talking about the king, but we're going to talk about kings and covenants. In this story of First and Second Samuel, we're going to see a prophet Samuel, Saul, the first king, and David, the second king, anointed and changed Israel permanently. And we're also going to talk about a covenant or two. That's why it's called Kings and Covenants. But let's talk about the five covenants in the Bible that are probably the most major covenants. There's a few more, but here are five major covenants that all of us should understand. The first one is the Noadic Covenant. It's Genesis chapter 9, verse 11. And this is where God just says, I will no longer destroy the earth by a flood. That's the covenant. He makes a covenant. The next is the Abrahamic Covenant. We see that in Genesis 12, a little bit later in Genesis where God says that he will give his people land, that they will be a great nation and they will be a blessing to others. 
The next is the Mosaic Covenant, and that's where God just gives us the law. We see that in Exodus chapter 19, and the law is to be a blessing, not necessarily a burden or something that yokes us down in our relationship with God. It's to point out that we need a Savior and that we are sinners and we need to be uh, saved by God. And then during this sermon series, we're going to come across the Davidic covenant. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And basically it says God will give us an everlasting kingship and it will be through the line of David. And finally, a new covenant in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. God, uh, God says that he will give us a new relationship through King Jesus and it will, will have a new relationship with God because of that new covenant and our life with God will change forever because the veil will be torn for what Christ did upon the cross for you and I. So this sermon series called Kings and Covenant will help us understand the, the prophet Samuel and the two new kings. And we will see some amazing things that we should learn and live by uh, and follow. And those are covenants that will help Christians grow in our, our walk with Jesus Christ. That's why we go back and read from the Old Testament. This sermon series will lead us to the Davidic covenant and it will establish a better understanding of who King Jesus is and who uh, King David was and why his lineage is part of uh, the everlasting kingship. And it will help us give a better perspective of this new covenant and how to live in a monarchy. Because as Americans, we're not used to monarchies. We're actually used to democracy and we struggle with monarchy. We kind of rejected a monarchy uh, hundreds of years ago. So that's kind of why we're going through this sermon series so that we can understand uh, kingship and some covenants in the Old Testament. But as I read, I have a few questions. And the first question you might ask yourself is why is the book called 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel? Well, first of all, in the 1 Samuel, uh, he wrote up to 25 chapters. So a large portion of the first book was written after him. And so that's one of the reasons why they named it. Also, he was the last judge of Israel and he was the first official prophet during that time. And so that's a big reason why they call it first Samuel. And also Samuel was the one that anointed the first two kings of Israel. So those are some of the reasons why they call it first Samuel and second Samuel, because he is a major figure in the Jewish history and as his, uh, as Israel grows from a theocracy into a monarchy. Another question you should ask is, well, what's the theme or the purpose of these two books? Well, here's a couple themes that really are interesting. Number one is the theme of this book is the rise of the office of a prophet. Now, there were other prophets in the Bible. Moses had a prophet-like uh, ministry and Abraham also. But now we're going to see that this office of a prophet is more like a prime minister and starts to lead the country by God and through God. And even as the kings come, the prophet is kind of on the same level as the kings uh, 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 as the way that they are supposed to lead. The other, uh, the other thing that's interesting here is that this theme of the, the first and second Samuel is the rise of the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of Israel is going from uh, this kind of nomadic theocracy into this monarchy. And we're going to see the kingdom of Israel kind of manifest right before our eyes as we go through these two books. 
And the last one is really interesting to me. I don't know if you guys realize this, but over these two books in the Bible, it starts with prayer and the last chapter in 2 Samuel 2 ends with prayer. And all throughout these books, there's a lot of prayer places that help us understand why prayer is so important. That's interesting for us because today we're going to talk about prayer. And for the first time in Journey's history, and we're coming up on 10 years in two or three weeks, we are going to have the same topic two weeks in a row. That's exactly where God has us, and that's what he wants for us, and that's why we are doing this 300 prayer challenge. Last week, Dustin gave us a great message of prayer, and this week, we're going to talk about prayer as well, because we know as church leaders that prayer needs to be so uh, important in your life and our life so that we can get through times that, that, that we're going through. And so that's why we're doing prayer. Jeremy's done a magnificent job over the last 10 years, kind of making sure that we're not talking about the same topics uh, repetitively throughout the year. He makes sure we've got six or eight or 10 weeks before we kind of bring another topic back in. But this time in our history, we're going to talk about prayer twice because that's what God wants for us as a church. Here's my first main point. I only have really one point today uh, about you know, kind of a talking point, and here's what it is. Perseverance comes through our prayer life, comes through and by our prayer life. If there was a title of this message, it would be Perseverance in Prayer, Prayer or Perseverance. Both of those need to work hand in hand. If you are to persevere, it's going to be through and by your prayer life. If you're struggling right now, maybe look at your prayer life and see how fruitful is it. Is it all about you and it's all about you asking? Or is it you communicating and really growing in your relationship with God? Well, as we begin 1 Samuel chapter 1, I want you to realize this is a story of prayer. And what we're going to do today is kind of survey chapter 1, chapter 2, and a little bit of 3. So please read those this week and fact check me, but also read because it will give you a fuller picture about what we're talking about. So 1 Samuel chapter 1 begins with a man named Elkanah, and he has two wives. One is Hannah, we see her on the screen, and the second is Penina, and they live in this city named Ramah. Now, I should stop right there. You know, God doesn't necessarily approve of two wives. Just because he records it in his Bible doesn't mean he approves it. I think you should understand that. Here's what's happening here. Every time we see two wives in the Bible or multiple wives, it causes turmoil and chaos and confusion and struggle with the two wives. Every time we see it, and here is no different. Hannah and Penina are going to struggle, and they do struggle. And I just want you to realize, just because it's in the Bible, it doesn't mean God approves it. It's not like a prescription. Just because it says it in the Bible, it's not like a doctor's prescription that you need to follow. It's just a description of what's really going on. It's just like God talking about Satan being a liar. God doesn't necessarily approve of Satan. He just gives us the description of who Satan is, and we need to understand it. We don't need to believe in Satan's lies. We just need to know that it's real and out there. So I think it's important for us to understand the two wives is not a prescription for us to live by. It's just a description of what's going on. So the beginning of chapter 1, uh, these, the, this family, Elkanah and his two wives, are heading to Shiloh for their yearly pilgrimage to offer sacrifices and worship God. 
Shiloh is the place where the tabernacle has been for many years. You know, at this point, there's no temple, there's no synagogues. It's really the tabernacle. The high priest of the tabernacle is Eli, and he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Now, as I said, there's two wives, and the two wives have struggle. And it, and it comes because of one wife has children, the other wife doesn't have children. Hannah is barren, and she has no children. Uh, Peninia, she has children. And as they come to this place of sacrifice, it's customary for a woman and her children to give a big, large sacrifice to, to honor God. And so Peninia would give this big sacrifice for her and her kids. And she would mock Hannah because Hannah didn't have any kids. And it created turmoil and issues. And this was happening for years. Hannah dreaded going to this trip because the mocking and the struggle with this other woman got worse and worse. Now, Elkanah really loved Hannah, so every time it was time to worship, he would give her the choice cut of meat. And so when she would offer it, everybody knew that this was the best cut, and it was really to honor her. But Elkanah also knew that Hannah struggled. He knew that she was hurting and that she was in turmoil. And this is kind of the Father's Day verse. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8. I love this verse. It's kind of hilarious. Men, you'll see how this plays out because this is a man trying to fix a woman's problem. And here's what it says. He says, why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah's reaching out to his wife. He says, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? And I just laugh because I could see myself doing that to Liz. Liz, you don't need anything. You have me. And it's kind of a hilarious thing because truthfully, women of the day, if they didn't have any children, were looked down upon. And even today. So this man is trying to appease her, but she is struggling. And this has been going on for a long time. And he's like, look, honey, you've got me. I'm the best gift. And I love you more than that other woman. And there you see why two wives has tension and chaos for this family. So today we're going to talk about prayer. And Hannah gives us a great description on how to pray. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions as we read the text from the Bible. And then I'm going to give you a couple of points to walk out of for application or walk away with. But here's some three things to look at as we're reading 1 Samuel chapter 9 through 20. One, chapter 1, 9 through 20, sorry. Why is she praying? What is she saying in that prayer? And how is she praying? Ask those questions as we read and we'll kind of spell them out and then I'll give you four things to walk away with. So here's what it says, 1 Samuel 1, 9. It says, after a sacrificial meal at Silo, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Highlight circle. And she made this vow. This is what she said. O Lord of the heaven's armies, if you look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer, give me a son and then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire life. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Now, I'm just going to stop and pray for a moment and just ask God to speak to us now through the rest of the sermon. Not like that he hasn't been speaking, but let's just pray and invite him in. Father, we stand in awe. 
We thank you for these words in the Old Testament. Help us grow to understand how to serve and live for your kingdom and the covenants that you have that grow us. Holy Spirit, pour out your blessing upon us. Grow us and shape us and, and, and carve out all the things that you don't want in our life and diminish them and grow our faith in you, Lord. We love you, King Jesus. We love you. Lord, speak to us boldly right now. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So the first question I have is, well, why is Hannah making this prayer? Hannah is in distress. She has been oppressed for years because of these two wives. She doesn't have a, a, a children, and this other wife is picking on her and mocking her. And every time they go to Shiloh for these sacrifices, it's a struggle, and it really creates a huge family dynamic that's negative, and it's really hurtful to Hannah. So... In her distress, she prays. It says she's in deep anguish and crying bitterly to the Lord. So that's why she's praying. Are you in distress today? It kind of reminds me of Dustin's prayer message last week. If you remember, Dustin did a great job of kind of outlining what prayer looked like. And in James chapter 5, verse 13, here's what it says. Are any of you suffering hardships like Hannah? Well, then if you are, you should pray. That's what it says. If you're suffering today about the election year, about the division of our country, about injustices or just things that are wrong on social media in the world, if you're suffering hardships, you should pray. That's what the text says. But it also says, if any of you are happy, you should sing praises. And hopefully well, that'll make sense a little bit later as we continue to look through 1 Samuel chapters 1, 2, and 3. So why she prayed? She was in distress. What she prayed is probably the most important and amazing thing of this whole concept. What she prays is, oh Lord, if you look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer, and if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. Answer my prayer, Lord, and I will give him back to you. He will be yours for the rest of your life. And then she says, I'm never going to cut her hair, cut his hair. And that really is code word for he is going to become a Nazarite. Not a Nazarene like we say today, but a Nazarite. And here's what we see in Numbers chapter six, six, what a Nazarite is. It's an Israelite who consecrates himself for the service of God, who under the vows abstains from any alcohol, especially anything from grapes or grape juice. He will let his hair grow and he will avoid defilement by contacting a corpse. So this man is going to have his hair growing and he is going to submit and serve God. He's going to abstain from alcohol and he's going to stay away from defilement. And it, it, it looks like he is a man that's serving because of the way he presents himself. And so this man is going to be a Nazarite. And that's what she says. Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you and I'll, I will consecrate him as a Nazarite. What she prays is this. Lord, answer my prayer. And I will give you what you give me back a hundred percent. Have you ever prayed those kind of prayers? The flashing red lights and blue lights are behind you and you're getting pulled over or something's happening negative in your life. Maybe the divorce papers are on the table or you're, you're defaulting on a loan or a car payment and you start praying to God, Lord, fix this and I will do this for you. Well, the truth is we all kind of have these prayers. But Hannah's saying, you give me something and I'm going to give it back to you 100%. And I'm going to give it back to you so it will serve you and honor you and it will be a blessing to you. That's different than the way that I usually pray. 
I'm like, Lord, save me and help me and I'll, I'll read the Bible. I'll go to church tomorrow. I'll put some money in the tithe, but I'm really not trying to give him back 100%. I'm just trying to get out of trouble. You're going to see Hannah, Hannah's prayer is pretty powerful. Now we're going to see how she prays. Here's what it says in verse 12. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she'd been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Now, this is kind of strange. I mean, you think about this for a second. I've been at church for many years and serving church in a long time, and people do come in you know, on drugs and drinking, but not often, but occasionally. But it seems kind of strange this is happening. And if you look at chapter two, you're going to find out that Eli and his sons aren't really managing the tabernacle well. So this must be a common thing. He's like, ah, we got another drunkard in the, in the tabernacle. What are you doing here drinking? And so it's kind of strange and it kind of sets up how this tabernacle is being run. And I just thought that was important that we should stop. But here's what Hannah says. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking any wine or anything stronger. I'm basically sober is what she's saying. But I am very discouraged and I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Here's how she's praying. I'm discouraged. I'm distressed. I'm struggling and I'm pouring my heart out to the Lord. You know what? When you're pouring out your heart to the Lord, it looks unusual to people. I've been a pastor for many years, as I've said, and I've seen some moments in, in, in our church history where people have come to the front or come to a place of prayer and they drop to their knees or drop to their face or they come and they cry out and they weep like they've never wept before and they're pouring out their heart. It doesn't look normal sometimes. And that's what Eli is seeing. He's like, something's different with this woman's prayer. He's thinking, are you drunk? Are you high? Is something wrong with you? And she's like, oh, no, sir. I'm pouring my heart out. That's how she's praying. You know, a lot of times in our church today, we're afraid to go up and pray. Our prayers are quiet. They're controlled. They're very wordy. They've got a lot of scripture, and we try and kind of amplify them a little bit. And maybe you have a couple people that pray a little loud. My sister Kim prays like no other. But most of the time, they're very kind of in control. But here, this type of prayer that Hannah's giving is heartfelt, it's desperate, and it's pouring her heart out to the Lord so that she can make sure he knows, I am broken and I need you, God, right now to change the atmosphere and change the inside so that I can honor you and follow you. It reminds me of a story in Luke chapter 8, verse uh, 18, verse 13. It's the one, you guys remember it if you're a Bible thumper, it's the one about the Pharisee and the tax collector or the publican, if you got a, a New King's James translation. And the Pharisee walks up in the synagogue and he kind of prays, oh God, I'm good. I, I tithe, I serve, I do all these good things and I, I, I honor you by the way I live my life but I'm not like that tax collector over there. And then the Bible talks about this tax collector and he's banging on his chest and he's pulling his hair out. He's like, oh Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And that prayer looks different than the guy that's doing well. He doesn't even know that he needs God and he needs a savior. This other man is so broken and pouring out his heart. He's banging on his chest. He's pulling out his hair. And he's like, Lord, I need you. And it reminds me of Hannah. She's just pouring out her heart because she's in turmoil and she's struggling. 
the man that bangs his chest in that story in Luke is justified just as Anna is. Here's what she says in verse 16. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. Don't think I'm evil. Truthfully, what I'm doing here is I'm pouring my heart out out of anguish and great sorrow, banging on her chest, pulling out her hair, crying out to God. Here's what it says in verse 17. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request that you have asked him. Go in peace. You've poured out your heart. You've confessed and you've told me what's going on. May the God of Israel grant your request. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaims, verse 18. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. From this moment of prayer, this encounter that she has with God, she leaves and she believes greater than she's ever believed before. It's like she leaves and she believes and her life seems to kind of switch instantly. It says she goes back, she starts eating this meal and it says she's no longer sad. She's had this encounter. She's been touched by God because of her actions of why she prayed and what she prayed and how she prayed. God was there. Verse 19 says, the entire family got up the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. And then they returned home to Ramah. So that's kind of the end of the story of this prayer. And they go back home. And then it says at the end of 19, it says, when Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel for she asked, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. That brings me to this first point. And this is one of the reasons why this book is called Samuel and why prayer is a big part of it is this is the beginning of the change of Israel. And I want you to see something here. It says, uh, the first point is the Lord never forgets or forsakes you. The first thing you need to hear in this message as we're talking about prayer is the, nor the Lord never forgets you. He's always remembers what you're saying and what you're doing, and he never forsakes you. I think that's something that you need to rest on. The Lord remembers, and he could have answered the prayer many years earlier and saved her some of the anguish, but God likes to answer prayers when it's going to have the biggest impact in the kingdom of God. And this was the time that he answers the prayers. He, it says he remembered her. He never forgot her. He never forgot her prayers and he never was distant from her. He never forsaked her. I think that's an important point. So Samuel is born and Hannah then tells her husband, I'm not going to go on that yearly pilgrimage to Shiloh until my child is weaned. And so that's an interesting part. And a weaning of a child would usually be two or three years old when they would stop nursing. And this type of weaning, though, was more than nursing because she wasn't going to send a two or three year old back to the tabernacle. She was actually going to send, the Bible says, a young boy. And I think that number is somewhere between seven and 11. I would assume that she had him at least until he was seven or eight years old. And mainly that long because when she offered him back, he would be useful in the tabernacle for some things, doing things around the tabernacle to help be a, be a blessing. So when we're talking about weaning, it's more than nursing. It's probably more uh, getting him ready to do simple things, taking out the trash, sweeping, and whatever he could do to truly serve in the tabernacle. Now, I bring this topic up because as I was reading through these three chapters this week, this kind of hit me. 
Do you know that this COVID crisis and this chaos in our country right now is really a time for weaning? We need to understand that God is trying to wean us off things in our life that we've been kind of addicted to or struggling with. He's using this hundred days that we've been kind of in this stay at home order or distant from church and kind of gathering the family to wean us off things that we've been struggling with. He wants our family to be strengthened. He wants our prayer life to grow. He wants us to learn to lean on him more. He wants us to use this weaning time for his glory. And I want you to think and, and, and kind of really ask God, what can I wean from this summer so that when I get back into normal church, whatever that looks like in the next month, two or three, when we get back to normal church, that you will be weaned off some things and you will be ready to serve and grow and bless the kingdom of God. So now we see Hannah after this, she brings Samuel to uh, to the tabernacle and offers him to Eli and offers him to God and says, this is my son. Remember that prayer I made several years ago. Now he's weaned and he's ready. And she gives him as an offering to uh, the kingdom of God and to Eli, the head priest. And that brings me to my second point. The Lord rewards faithful perseverance. This message is prayer and perseverance Perseverance in prayer, that's the title. But the Lord rewards faithful perseverance. When you're persevering faithfully, you're persisting for the kingdom of God, the Lord wants to reward that. He wants to look at your prayer life, not just what you said last night or this week, but what you've been saying for weeks, months, years, and sometimes decades. He wants to reward you for your faithful perseverance. And that's what he does to Hannah. She faithfully cries out to God. She faithfully loves him, even in her distress. And at the end, he rewards her. Remember James, that thing we read a couple of moments ago, it says, if you are suffering hardships, pray. But it also says, if you're happy, you should sing praises. Now, I was actually not going to add anything from chapter two. I was going to jump to chapter three and talk about our calling that God has for us and kind of how that works. But I really started reading Hannah's praise, prayer of praise, and it really struck me. And I want to challenge you. I'm going to read from uh, chapter 2, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, 1 through 10. And it's this place called Hannah's prayer of praise. But before we get there, have you had a prayer of praise lately in your life? Have you just had a moment where you're just thanking God Thank you, God Almighty, for what you've done and how you've grown me and how you've made me and how you provided for me. I felt like God wanted me to say, challenge the church, Jeff, to prayer, have a prayer of praise this week and this summer and in their life. Hannah is rewarded, and because of that reward, she then gives us this beautiful prayer of praise. And I'm just going to read it from the text and talk a little bit about it. It really speaks to me, and hopefully it speaks to you. Here's what it says. This is uh, chapter 2 in uh, 1 Samuel. My heart rejoices in the Lord. Hannah is celebrating. The Lord has made me strong. When you're in God's will and you're working, he strengthens you. And now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you've rescued me. Now she's not, she's confessing that the Lord met her and rescued her and he has put her enemy on her uh, uh, against him and it's built her up. It says, no one is holy like the Lord. 
There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you have done and will judge your actions. Here she's kind of saying, I know what I've done over the years and the Lord has rewarded me. And I also know what others have done and the Lord will also judge and reward them or curse them for whatever they've done. Maybe not a curse, but condemn them. Verse four says, the bow of the mighty is now broken. Those who are, those who stumble are now strong. Those who were well fed are starving and those who were starving are now full. And I love this part. This is a prophetic part. He said the childless woman now has seven children. She's actually prophesying that she's now had her womb healed. And she, if you read the story, has more children. God has blessed her. But listen to the other woman, the woman with many children wastes away her adversary the one that mocked her and cursed her has now wasted away because she realizes the only thing that she had over hannah was children but her husband really loved hannah more and this other woman is now just wasting away into nothing here is what it says in verse six the lord gives both death and life he brings some down to the grave but rises others up The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor up from the dust and the needy from the garbage. I love that. He brings people that are down and he lifts them up. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. Listen to this. For all the earth is the Lord's and he has set the world in order. If you're struggling today, If you're not comfortable with where the world is at or where our country's at or where our politicians are at or where you're at, just realize that God sets the world in order. It says in verse nine, he protects the faithful ones. He rewards the faithful perseverant, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. Listen to this. No one will succeed by strength alone. Too often today, man, woman, and child try to do things on their own. I'm going to get out and do something. I'm going to make a difference. And the truth is no one will succeed by strength alone. We need to invite God in. We need to pray, ask God to guide us and direct us so that we can do what he wants us to do, not what I want to do on my own strength. Those that fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to the king and increases the strength of the anointed one. This is an interesting prophetic place because there's no king of Israel right now. There's only the king, Jesus, and there's she's kind of uh, giving us a prophetic word about this anointed king that's going to bring us this new covenant. Verse 11 says, Then Elkanah returned to Ramah without Samuel, and the boy served the Lord by assisting Eli with the priest. So now... Uh, Elkanah and Hannah head home and they leave their boy and now he's in service. So the, the, the next point that you need to realize is that prayer works. Do you realize that prayer works? Do you know someone in your life where you've prayed for and you've seen God move and change and transform their life? You should, and if you don't, you should start praying for people because prayer 
truly does work. If you don't know anybody, you know me. And God has had many people praying for me for years. And constantly I run into people saying, man, it's so amazing what God has done. I prayed for you 20 years ago. And to see where you're at is just a blessing. Prayer works. Ask my mom. Ask people around uh, your life. You'll realize that prayer works. And as I was thinking about this, this week I started to write a prayer journal. I haven't done one in a while. And I just started writing down things that I am praying for, for my family, for my wife, for the church, for the reopening, all these things. And I wanted to journal them so that I can share them with my wife and my kids. But I also wanted to be able to share them with you. But I, I, I wanted to show God, I know how much you do in my life. And the prayer journal is like a checklist. Yes, you've done this and are doing this and will do this. And some are answered early and some are answered uh, a little bit longer. But the truth is, prayer works. We need to understand that. Now, at the end of chapter 2, after, uh, after verse 11... It kind of ends on a sour note. Eli and his sons are evil. They're wicked. And Eli, he wasn't necessarily a bad man. He just didn't have the guts to deal with his two sons. Sometimes the evil that we do isn't confronting our children and our kids for the wicked that they are doing. And that's what we see here. Eli is then warned by God that because you don't honor me, I'm not going to honor you. And there's a word that is said at one point that basically says, one day, your two sons and you will die on the same day. And as God says it, it always happens. My it brings me to my final point of today is we need to keep our promises to God. We need to keep our promises to God. God honors Hannah because she kept her promise to God. Hannah's womb is healed. She has many children. Her life is really in, in the annals of history about how Israel starts as a kingdom. And this book starts about her and her prayer life because she was faithful to the promise that she made to God. If you give me a son, I'll give it back to you. You need to keep your promises to God. When you do, your life is changed and transformed. I've had two promises that I've, I, I made God long ago when I was locked up. Number one was that I was going to live and uh, live by God's word. I was going to always try and make the kingdom of God above my life and put it first. The second was that I was going to read his word daily. I was going to make it a priority. I've made those two promises. The kingdom of God was going to be above my life and that his word was going to be something I chewed on and lived by every day. Now, the truth is, those are just simple promises that we try and make, but I've honored that. And it's really changed who I am. Obviously, I still have a lot to grow, but those promises have made me a better man. And hopefully, uh, my family can see that. Hopefully, you can see that. But real important, uh, more importantly, is God knows that and sees that. And he honors when we keep our promises. Chapter 3, I just want to touch it just for a second because it kind of shows Samuel come into the picture and it will help us kind of frame next week's sermon as well. Chapter 3, Samuel is now a boy serving as a, a mentor to Eli and serving the Lord as a Nazarite. The messages from God aren't really coming yet. Eli is not 
uh, uh, right with God and his sons are wicked. So they're not really receiving messages. But one night, and it's one of my favorite stories, and I really don't have time to get into it, but I challenge you to read uh, chapters one, two, and three. And if you can only read chapter three, read it. It's a great read. But there's this moment where Samuel starts to hear God's voice and Eli mentors him and, and, and tells him, God is talking to you. And when you hear this voice, say, speak, your servant is listening. So Eli teaches him how to hear the voice of God. And that's kind of an interesting place. We all want to learn to hear the voice of God. When we are in this prayer life with God, we need to say some things and we need to listen so that we can hear some things. And the final verse in chapter three kind of shows us who Samuel is, and it sets us up for this amazing Kings and Covenants sermon series. And here's what it says, uh, 1 Samuel 3.19, As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. The Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. All of Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. He took over this office of the prophet and he was really the one that everybody looked to. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. And this kind of sets up Samuel as a key player and a key figure in the rise of the kingdom of Israel. He's now the prophet. Everybody knows God is speaking to him and they're looking to him as the last judge and looking for his leadership to grow them and and help them persevere through this time in Israel's history. This message is about prayer and perseverance, persevering and praying. That's what we see as we begin 1st, 2nd Samuel sermon series, Kings and Covenant. And my main point again was Perseverance comes through and by our prayer life. How's your prayer life? God is challenging us to bring our community together and get 300 people praying for our country, for this COVID crisis, for the community amongst us just in this pleasant valley. And also he wants us to pray for the church as a whole and how we're meeting and how we're communicating and growing in faith. He's challenging us to pray. I want you to think about that prayer life that Hannah had, why she prayed, what she prayed, and how she prayed. That's important. If you revisit this scripture, it really will stand out if you read it and ask those questions. But remember the four points that we get out of this story about Hannah and Samuel. The Lord never forgets or forsakes you. The Lord rewards faithful perseverance. Prayer works. I can't say that enough. I feel like the Lord is telling me prayer works. Get off of your high horse and your proudful, haughty place, as the Lord would say, and get to a lowly place of prayer on your knees, on your face, in your car, on your bed, in your on your couch and pray because prayer works. And our country and our community and our church needs prayer. This COVID thing, we need to pray and soak it in prayer so that we can get beyond it and protect us and and, and live a, a life of safety from this horrible virus. And finally, keep your promises to God. We need to keep our promises to God. Whatever you've promised to God, follow through and give him back 100% of what you promised. And I promise you, if you do that, God rewards that. 
He loves when you honor him with everything that you said that you're going to do. And he will give you more. Hannah's life, she just wanted one child and she got more than she ever imagined. She became a great figure in the Bible because of how she prayed and what she prayed and why she prayed. That's important. And that gives us the close of our sermon and our memory verse. It's 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. And here's what it says. And I love this verse. And it's something that we should grow from this summer. You must obey the Lord. You must worship him with all your heart and remember the great things he has done for you. Put a time of, of a pray prayer, a praise prayer, sorry. Get some praise prayers going on in your life and remember what he has done. And you will truly bless God and he will bless you. Happy Father's Day. Will you just bow your head and let's close out in prayer? Father, we love you and we claim victory in you. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you are growing us and shaping us, that you are putting it on our heart to be a part of this uh, 300 prayer challenge, that we will start praying for this COVID crisis, this community, the country, and the church as a whole. Lord, I ask that you just get a bunch of us together to pray and watch our community and world around us change. Lord, if there's someone here that uh, feels like God is calling them into a, a life of, of serving and living for the kingdom of God and for Jesus Christ. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, I pray that you just reach your heart out to the Lord and receive him as your Lord and Savior. And all you have to do is say a simple prayer. And it goes like this. Repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins and what I've done in my life. I know that you died and you rose again for my eternal life. I ask that you bless me and guide me. Holy Spirit, take over my life and teach me how to be obedient to you all the days of my life. Lord, I want to give my life to you as an offering. Use me so that I can be part of the kingdom of God. Father, we claim you above all things, that you are our king and our authority. And I ask that you will help us and grow us and guide us this day and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.